There is a lot in life that, that I've held on to for no good reason. Now, before you roll your eyes this Easter day, don't worry. This is not a Marie Kondo life-changing magic of tidying up sermon, even though her advice is sound. Some things on my list of things that I've held on to do indeed include clothing that I should have given away long ago and books that, metaphorically speaking, after one date I married. More seriously, though, there are way too many non-tangible things that I need to let go of, things that have exerted their power over me for way too long. An example that embarrasses me more than most is to admit that my decades-long reliance on my Appalachian rural family roots and our home in the countryside and some sort of idealized youth that I never really had, well, I've pretended those to be part and parcel of who I am. Those idealized roots have been the subjects of way too many sermons, and they've hindered me looking honestly, for example, at my relationship with my family. And I'll have to admit, those roots have often been excuses for many decisions I've made outside the pulpit. Some things ought not to be held on to. But it's so comfortable tenaciously to hold on to such parts of our lives. Part of the appeal is likely a subconscious desire to return to that time when we were younger or felt secure at home or there were no hard decisions to make or the world felt like a simpler place. And simultaneously, part of our holding on is a fear of the future. It always seems easier to hold on to what we know than to risk and exchange it for something new. That last sentence makes me squirm more than you might imagine. I would guess that in my case, the desire to hold on to things eventually led me to a vocation in the church. I had found a soulmate, for the church is also good at holding on to things. Our liturgies are ancient, our creeds immutable, our worship spaces, believe it or not, are still based on a 2,000-year-old model of Greek public buildings. I will not deny it. There is actually something good about such stability. We need anchors in a world that is increasingly unstable. Now, aside from liturgies and building styles, what the church has most importantly held onto is the focus of this day, resurrection, and indeed the focus of all that we are as Christians. But the paradoxical truth is for a church that loves holding on to things, holding on to resurrection as our central tenet is the most subversive action imaginable. Life-disrupting, we ought to call resurrection. You see, resurrection constantly challenges us not to keep holding on to what once made us feel comfortable or back in the safety of home. In today's gospel, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb expecting to find the body of Jesus. And she can't. And then she goes to his fellow followers of Jesus to report the fact. And when they show up, they can't find his body either. It is difficult from the actual wording of this gospel to determine what Peter and the other disciple really thought when they left the tomb. 
the lesson tells us that they did not understand. From what is written there, what we know for certain is that they head back home. Sound familiar? Mary then turns around and sees Jesus, whom she does not recognize, and whom she may be starting to hold on to when she at last recognizes the person in front of her as a teacher who knows her name. In what I think is the theological focus of this story from the viewpoint of resurrection, Jesus tells her not to hold on to him. Holding on to the past is over. Mary Magdalene is going to have to give up him as she has known him. Instead, she is to go tell the others that this Jesus they have known is getting out of the picture, so to speak. That's what that reference to ascending to the Father means. It is time for the creation of new heavens and a new earth where the former things will not be remembered or come to mind as today's reading from Isaiah assures us. That's resurrection. Former things will not be remembered. How different what Jesus tells Mary from that sentiment in those gospel hymns of my youth and perhaps yours as well, such as leaning on the everlasting arms, hymns that delight in our holding on to Jesus. But what Jesus is telling Mary today is simply the hoped-for completion of what we started when Lent began. For many of us in the Christian tradition, as Ash Wednesday approached, we talked about what we would be giving up with the expectation that come Easter Day, we could go back to our old lives. Chocolate, alcohol, quitting our fast from Facebook, whatever it is that we decided to do without for 40 days. But when resurrection, rather than Easter dinner, is the conclusion of Lent, we discover there's no going back. There's no holding on to the past. By the time Mary returns to the other followers in their homes, the gardener is the risen Lord. And if that gospel story was true then, it's still true today. By the time we return home, who will be the risen Lord in our eyes? Where will this resurrected body of Christ be seen? Stop holding on to a robed man with nail prints in his palms. Instead, start looking at, oh, Little Rock gardeners with calluses and convenience store clerks with tired feet and opioid-addicted mechanics with trembling arms. That's where the new faces of the risen Lord can be found. I know that it's not a comfortable vision for me and probably not for you either, but it's the Christian witness. Resurrection, to see the risen body of Christ in ways that we never once imagined, is the great gift of Christianity to humanity, as I often tell people whom I'm confirming. It changes how we treat others and how we value ourselves. It changes how we spend our money and how we cast our ballots. It changes how we view the church itself. It's no longer a club of like-minded people or a way to avoid hell after death but rather as a place in which we are prepared to see God's presence in the world, even in the face of cruelty, in the face of meaningless around us, 
even in the face of tremendous evil, as when hundreds were killed in Sri Lanka today in Christian churches. We Christians believe that we will see Jesus in astonishing new ways, just like Mary Magdalene did, and that belief keeps us working for a better world. Now, here's your bishop's advice on how to experience Easter. Keep your arms open so that you don't hold on only to the past. Keep your eyes open so that you can see where the risen Lord is present. And perhaps most challenging of all, keep your heart open so that you can replace past anguish or anger with future joy. And then, like Mary Magdalene, go share with your family, your friends, the people for whom you work and the people who work for you, the good news that the Lord is risen indeed and that you've seen him in them and doing so is changing your life. Amen.